Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Chris O'Fall, I'm the editor of the Toolkit. And my guests today are the creators, writers, and directors of The Marvelous Miss Maisels, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino. Uh, just a quick note about this podcast. There was a problem with my mic, and I apologize about that. Um, and uh, But it, it's only really bad in the first 30, 40 seconds after that. Um, it, it should be listenable. And, and luckily, Amy and Dan do most of the talking. So who cares? Um, in general, though, I want you to also know that I am I'm, I'm actively trying to uh, improve the sound of this podcast. If you listened to the Bill Hader podcast, you'll notice different mics. And also the one that I'm about to drop with Leslie Headland later this week, uh, same thing. And I think moving forward, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, these more professional mics that actually Variety uses on um, on their podcast. Anyways, I hope you really enjoyed this uh, conversation with Amy and Dan. I uh, I uh, am married to a Gilmore Girls fanatic, and so in one way or another, that show, you know, for many years was kind of like on the way that some people put on uh, NPR. Was, <laughs> <laughs> You know, in their house, just walking around. It was just on. And We're so, good background. That's nice. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, I, this is this is for your fifth or eighth way through. Yeah, yeah, the, right, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, the seasons that you did, we don't watch. We're the just last. like we don't, we don't, It's delightful. No, we don't talk about that last. It's delightful radio. It's the at season that point. we shall not speak. We, we tried to get Hulu to block it. They wouldn't. So <laughs> Fox News from my uh, mm-hmm. Apple News alerts. But they, um, you know, and so when this one came on, I'm so used to this 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 rhythm and the walk and talk that that was Gilmore Girls. And the thing that instantly blew me away about this is so much of the essence that was in the dialogue and the rhythm and that walk and talk suddenly in this show branched out into all aspects of the filmmaking, all elements of the, of, of the craft. And I'm curious how much of that is a product simply of growth, of like wanting, pushing yourself to do that, and how much of that is resources and time. It's and resources. It's resources. I mean, you know, the thing, the great thing, Gilmore Girls was like the greatest gig in the entire world. We were sort of like, kind of just ran crazy over the Warner Brothers lot, and we were really left alone, and we got to really sort of hone in and develop our style of storytelling and rhythm and. But we, we never had a dime. I mean, you know, we were practically like taping costumes together. You know, the night before we needed a costume, you know, our costume person was like sewing like bells on something. She's like, I don't know, I hope, I hope it holds up. So, you know, and... and how many takes you doing? Yeah, how many takes? How many you got? You know, one of the biggest tragedies on Gilmore Girls is we had snow out. We came the next day and ER had washed all our snow away because the L was like right behind us. And we were like, damn you, Wells, you can afford Ford snow. So it's like it, we just never had the opportunity to take it further. And part of the reason that that I wanted to do something period and something in this this genre is we wanted a chance to do something very we wanted to push out. We wanted to do something very external and build a world and and something that was very colorful and vibrant, and um, and had all the bells and whistles. And you know, when when you start any project like this, and they pick up the pilot, there's always like, well, let's you know, let's shoot the interiors in L.A., and then you know, we'll send you for a couple of days to New York. And like Dan and I kind of sat down and were like, are we going to fall for that again? And I was like, we're going to fall for that shit again. We're we 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 had not our first rodeo, so we kind of went back to them and we said, look. The scope of what we want to do is big, and we want—we're we're doing a story about a woman who is whose life explodes, and then because of that, 
she builds a whole world. Mm -hmm. If we can't show the world that she's building, there's really no point in doing this. So if you don't want to do it the way we want to do it, we get it. No harm, no foul. We love you. I'm very good at being unemployed. Um, but they, we needed to be able to do this to see if this would work. And and, and God God love Amazon. They they, but it's, they wrote the check. But it is both what you're saying. I mean, we we have you know you 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 do it more. You direct more. You you learn more. So like this has been our film school because we didn't go to film school or college really. But we would um, try it. You know, we tried some fancy stuff on Gilmore, and yeah. and sometimes we succeeded. But mm -hmm. you'd get one shot. You get one a season, you know, one a season to like do something kind of big, and then you're back in the hole. Yeah. And 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 the thing about this show is we wanted to make sure that each episode had something New York iconic in it to sort of keep the idea of Midge is learning all about life going, mm -hmm. um, and we're going through it with her. My assumption about the Gilmore Girls in terms of how far you're able to push it was I imagine that in terms of time the thing that you were able to do is instead of instead of going with normal TV coverage, try and get that rhythm as much into to yeah. oneers and to and, and that in and of itself I imagine is it takes you, sure. you obviously went further with Maisels and the camera's doing a lot more here, but I have to assume that that's prob that in and of itself probably was was kind of confining based on what what you had. Yeah, I think time. I think a lot of I think most TV shows still to this day they they you know usually you, you you always rehearse and then you do your master and I think I think most shows don't pay any attention to their master because they think they think everyone's the, the producers are going to want the coverage and they're the going to want the close ups. And the master tends to be for geography. Yeah, so like that's why you'll you'll often like just see one shot of people standing in the room and it'll just be their faces 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 and we have, even on Gilmore Girls and especially on this show we pay a lot of attention to the masters we rehearse a lot for the master and we always do the master first and the actors always know if it works out really great we're going to use a lot of the master or even all of the master and not do coverage at all. Yeah, there's no saving it for the coverage here. You know, some, some actors yeah, save they it know for the that. coverage mm -hmm. and they learn quickly like, oh shit, if we don't start acting right away, that may be it. <laughs> there may not be a second chance. We gotta dive in there right now. But it, 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 was, it was a natural progression for us because we just wanted to do, if we were going to uh, squander our golden years <laughs> not not sleeping wait and these are our golden this years is it, baby uh, you didn't tell me that yeah yeah read the memo mm -hmm. um th then it had to be something that was really really truly a, a challenge and and we are very lucky because on on top of the fact that we had the support from amazon we have a cast that you know they're all theater people they like to rehearse they love to rehearse. I imagine there's there's, there's a specific type of actor yes. actress that can hand yes. that, that can drive your vehicle. Yeah, right? it's it's not for everybody. It, you have to the challenges that we throw out there. You have to find fun. Like you just have to kind of like go for it. It's three o'clock in the morning. I want to do a oneer where you're playing baseball and you're talking at the same time. Go. You know you have to find that exciting and enjoyable and or, or some people will just find that too stressful and it's like I can't I just don't I can't and I get that you know so yes it, it's it really is a matter of finding all the right elements and we just you know with this we fell into you know we have the the crew to do it we have Jim McConkie this unbelievable steadicam guy who can do who can do it you know we have David Mullen a DP who's not afraid of lighting 
for a 10-page one You know, a lot of DPs don't want to do that. They want to put you in a corner and it's, everything's like a Madonna and there's slats of light coming through and there's, you know, but it's like, we don't do that shit. So how do you make it look beautiful while they're walking down the street and then walking to a club and then going up on stage and like, how do you make that look beautiful? So everybody needs to find something like this, a giant challenge in an exciting way or it just falls apart. And and we just are very, very lucky because we got the elements. We got the people who kind of dig what we're doing. I want to talk about um, what you just you mentioned, um, McConkie. I mean, one of the things here is is that um, the camera itself has a rhythm. I mean, everybody's going to point yes. to for this season two, that the opening for one, and then I think it's two, you got that, that big factory shot. And there, there are those yeah. big kind of tentpole movie shots. But in general, even just in the, the Midge's family's house, it's the hallway now. So much of your story, one can get the rhythm of what's going on based on whoosh or yeah. in like that. And I, I'm wondering how much of that, and he, I know you have a great operator here, but I mean, how much of that is, is now you're, you, you see it, in the, it, obviously the dialogue has a rhythm, but now right. the energy, but now you're also seeing it in terms of movement. And, and then that kind of collaboration to, you know, you gotta have a dancer, you know, you gotta have someone that's gonna right. do it. Well, Conky's great, he, because, because Steadicam is music. It, 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 it seems like a macho kind of like, I've got a big machine strapped on me kind of thing, but what it really is, is it's music. It is an instrument, and a great Steadicam operator has music in them, and they feel the music. And, and McConkie has all sorts of weird sounds that he makes, you know, the breathing out, the things, and it only works with the sound. And it's like, but, but it is feeling that. And also, he doesn't mind being manhandled. Yeah. It's a big one. So you almost like yeah. the actor exercises. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. is very Basically. true. And he, but he also, you know, he doesn't mind you grab him, and mm -hmm. you, you manhandle him a little bit. And, and then he feels it. And when he gets into it, I mean, we... We just did a show recently where um, we had a musical number and I wanted to get, I had 10 minutes to shoot behind and to be able to get the, incorporate the audience in. We were on the clock, we're losing extras, it's money, money, money. And it's sort of like Conky here, play, go. And he's, now he's lived with it and he's felt it and he feels it. And what he can do when he just goes is extraordinary and you know we exploit everything that he's got in him because that is the way we just see scenes scenes for us are motion and and midge is a character constantly in motion her life is about motion and moving forward and she's not one to stand still and because of that the show just took on this sort of life of like nobody stands still everybody just keeps moving 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 and and it's it's just the way we like to do things, you know, and we just got blessed with a guy that hears it in his head. And we play music a lot of times on the set when we're doing these shots, you know, we, so that everybody knows that the camera matches the music, because if you put the music in later, it's not, you know, the camera's doing this and the music's doing this, and it's like everybody's got to kind of be together on the same page, so. But it all comes back to we have the time and the resources to do this stuff correctly. Um, it takes rehearsal, it takes practice, it takes discussion, it takes actors who are willing to do it over and over and over and over and over again and stay fresh and still be able to perform. Um, it's a Herculean task from everybody, from everybody involved here, um, propping us up so that we can live out the last days of our lives. Our golden years. The our golden, golden years. Just the golden years. <laughs>
Um, this is uh, season two is 1959, um, and I, I am wondering. I, 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 season one was one year before. I guess it doesn't really matter. It was 58. Yes. Yeah, one, okay. How much of this? It feels to me there's kind of two parts here. One is it does feel like there's a lot of research here. There is there is a sense of even when you're not using a real character, one feels that like that Declan character was probably <laughs> the kind of something that's an amalgamation, of, yeah, yeah, of a bunch of um, a bunch of the kind of the '50s, late '50s art world here in New York. How much of it, but then there's this sense of also interpreted through this kind of colorful prism. Mm -hmm. so it, I'm just wondering it, which part, is the research kind of come in the writing and in kind of like as you're kind of forming story or is that, is that? Well, you know, from the very beginning it always felt like this, it always felt like this show was, the, 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 the prism of the color is, is a little bit how Midge Maisel herself sees the world. Um, we also from the very beginning told everybody we don't want this show to, to be a, like it's a time capsule or some nostalgic look back at this time because we wanted it to feel very modern to the people who are watching it. And of course, people who are living in 1959 don't think they're in the past. That's the modern world to them. So we wanted the audience to feel the modernity of 1959, 60 and on with the characters. So we wanted the colors. We didn't want any kind of sepia tone. If you look at most shows that are set in the, even the near past, the, the DPs tend to put some sort of yellow filter on it, blue filter, something that makes it feel old. But you know, they, that's only making it feel old for the people watching it. Back then, things weren't blue or sepia tone. The Civil War was in full color. It wasn't, right. it wasn't what Matthew Brady had to do to get that, get that film done. So. We, we, we got rid of all of that and we told our, our DP, David Mullen, just to, that we wanted these, these colors to really be bright and bounce because it does reflect, everything is reflecting off of Midge Maisel. And that really is kind of her worldview, the and, look of the show. And is also her New York at that time, you know, it was, it was that rebuilding after the war, there was an energy in the, in the, in the 50s of we're modern, we're this, you know, uh, there was neon everywhere, there was signage everywhere. Um, it, 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 had, it had a pulse to it that um, I don't know that, so, so it, it, it wasn't so much that we made this decision like we're doing a cartoon version of 1950s. A lot of the research actually supported the colors, supported the furniture, the clothing, the, you know, our uh, Bill Groom and um, Donna Zakowska who does our uh, production design and our costumes, th those two people are, they are maniacs in terms of research. Like maniacs, like literally insane, probably should be institutionalized, but we need them so we can't have them committed yet. Like they are really, it's very important to them, you know, and and that things don't feel like, you know, like, like the Weissman apartment needed to not feel like a 1950s Doris Day movie. It needed to feel like a real apartment that people would live in in the 1950s who would have furniture from their parents passed down from the 1800s, you know. The, the apartment building itself was built in the 1800s. So it's, 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 it, 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 there's a lot of thought that goes into every single little decision and every single 
um, hat and glove and the reasons for it and how the men dress and the hats, the men dress, and, and, the, and the different looks in terms of uptown, downtown, midtown. There were very different stylistic looks in those, in those, those three areas. So we, we wanted to capture that. We wanted to capture the fun and the vitality of New York in the 50s. And, and we also wanted it to be a ride. I mean, Maisel should be fun. You know, it just should be kind of a blast. And it's kind of why we did it. She's a joyous character. She has gotten knocked down, but she, you know, she's a woman and when she gets knocked down, she doesn't eat pizza and ice cream and take to her bed. She just goes out there and forges something new. And, and, and that sort of character lends itself to a certain palette and a certain sort of backdrop and and so we're trying to remain true to what what she is because there's, there's another element here which is that you know we've seen that greenwich village run down dirty and 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 the thing is is that for someone that didn't grow up in that time but has read about it it, it feels very vibrant in terms of these ideas and these artists in these places and sometimes when you put that kind of blue, yeah. dark thing. It, it doesn't feel true in terms of just interpreting and even these people in their The own. village was also a, ver a neighborhood. You know, there were a lot of like Italian families living in Greenwich Village. It wasn't just like drunk mm -hmm. people throwing up in the alleys. There was like, oh, there was a life going on there and there were ideas there and it was a very pulsating place. It was a place where there was a little bit more, much more integrated. You know, and, and the pictures prove it, you know, because we're, believe me, there's so many pictures. There was so many binders here. We have, I don't know what we're going to do with all these binders when the show finally goes down. It's just binders, binders, binders. But it, it, it had its own, its own life and its own sort of level of, like, sophistication and cool. And it just, it's, you know, it, it's not all about the dirt and the squalor and the, and the sadness and everybody smells like beer. One thing that always makes me nervous with shows that have this like very distinct world is when they leave that world. You know, it's this like, and 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 what was amazing to me about season two is you've got Paris, you've got the you added the Catskills, and then to some degree, because it's an extension, but there is that that art world. I, I suppose you know it doesn't right. look a little different. The, the not terrible, you know, it, it near the village and whatnot. But I'm wondering. That sense of that was had to have been a challenge with season two of of that which is the style of the Maisels, which is grounded in time, but there is a artistic interpretation right. of it, of how to transfer that to these three, you know Paris and the Catskills right away is not the Upper West Side and and the Greenwich Village. No, not at all. But you know like, we well, it's sort of like when Blossom went to Paris. It's exactly. It the didn't same. feel like oh Blossom God, anymore. I was going to say the same thing. So we looked at Blossom, went to Paris, and we thought, let's not make those mistakes. Let's <laughs> awesome. make sure. Um, what, one thing we always will do in that situation is there's always a touchstone back in New York. This is a New York show, mm -hmm. and wherever she goes, there will be something happening in New York. You know, we're not a show that's like, we're going to take you out of New York. Um, but the story has to warrant it. You know, uh, the cats, you know, Paris was something that we laid the groundwork for with Rose, you know, all, all through the first season of her love of Paris, and she went to Paris, and Paris was the place that she felt happy and when her world kind of her world ticks off she goes where was the last place that i felt mm -hmm. kind of like me and she retreats um paris was wonderful because it was a, it was 
still a city, still cosmopolitan, but very different. The colors were very different. The feel was very different. A lot more workmen on the street. You know, a lot of rebuilding going on in the Paris. Um, and then the Catskills was a very, it's what, that's what the Jews did. They, in the summer, they packed up and they went to the Catskills. And, you know, I grew up with stories of the Catskills. My father played the Catskills. In fact, in some of the research, they found a menu from, was it, what, what, what? It was, uh, it, was, was it was the late 60s, I think. But no, what? Uh, oh, it was Kutcher's. Uh, Kutcher's. Kutcher's. Yeah. That uh, it had the menu and it had my father's name as the, t as the performing that night. So like, it was just what you did. You went, packed everybody up, the fathers would, you know, go back and forth and the family would stay up in the Catskills and we just felt like this family would go to the Catskills and it was another opportunity for us, part of the fun of the show is being able to bring to life some things that don't exist anymore, you know, and the Catskills doesn't exist anymore. And yet it was such a major thing to so many families growing up and it would just felt like, well, you can't do summer and not do the Catskills. My God, what, I mean, the bathing suits alone, it's going to be worth it, so. I'm very excited. Uh, you just described what Rose, you know, because really what you were describing with Paris is that, that idea of what it meant to Rose and one sense is in season three, we're going to see what something from the past of dad's world. <laughs> we have a lot. We, season three is a little cuckoo bananas, I will say. We've got some madness happening. Stick with me here in this one. You know, one of the things that, you know, when, when Aaron Sorkin did, uh, you know, these kind of performative things and, you know, Josiah Bartlett felt like a president. You know, Sports Night right. worked because that actually felt like a version of early Sports Center. Right. Um, Jeff Daniels felt like an anchor. Right. I never, and I'm not asking for you to say, I never liked to do 60 because it never really felt like a version to me of a Saturday Night Live. And, right. and that speaks to me of the fact that it's comedy is so hard. It's really and hard. Now, and that's a sketch thing, which is his own thing. But stand-up in its way is very hard. I mean, people, I mean, I have heard a lot of stand-ups talk about the fact that, you know, they really didn't feel like they were even had a, their foot on the ground until 10 years of, like, striking out. Right. So I, I'm wondering about that. Um, that writing stand-up and and not only because it's an extension of Midge, so obviously I think the part, the stories and stuff, the character probably come natural, but I, I have to imagine a, that is a lot of extra work and time like kind of nailing the stand-up. Or were you guys secretly been a really good stand-ups? <laughs> no, I mean, we, we've been really lucky because we've had people like Pat Oswalt come up to us and say, you're getting it right. Every No one gets it right. Part of, part of what I know stand-ups who like the show like is that we do show her struggling at times and failing. We show and a joke bomb or we show her bombing. And working on these jokes. These jokes take forever to yeah. get. We did, a, right. we did a sequence in season one where she it was basically the anatomy of, of a joke that she was, she, she had an idea for a joke and then she honed it over successive nights until she kind of found it and the audience laughed. and. The, the, the comics really love that because it's such a process. Like stand-up, stand-ups on, uh, on, on other shows, I think they feel like they just kind of go out there and they're always sitting at the top table right away because that's the way they want, to, want it to be done. And it's like we are showing, even in her sort of cherry blossom world, we are showing her, uh, you know, sitting, sit, sitting, at the back of, uh, sitting at the back of a plane, not not a top, you know, making the incremental process towards being 
someone uh, that could be big one day. When, when we started this, we had to decide what sort of style comic she was going to be. Um, and because we were, were going into a time where comedy was changing a bit, it was going a little less, you know, take my wife please, and, and there was a little more politics and, you know, uh, social humor, Lenny Bruce coming in and, and sort of shoving the conversation, Mort Saul was very political, just sort of shoving it in, sort of in, in a slightly different direction. You know, we decided that her comedy was going to have to be observational. It was going to have to be almost a monologue. That was what was going to, that, that Midge's outlet was basically, no matter what sort of, no matter what sort of um, act she hones, whatever happens to her five minutes before she goes up on stage, that's probably what she's going to wind up talking about to her benefit and detriment. You know, that she's, she's just a um, she's working her life out on stage. That's it's her therapy, um, and because of that, it it made it uh, made her stand up easy to write because it all comes out of emotion. It comes out of what she's story and what she's going through, and and it was necessary for the actress because Rachel is not a stand up, and for Rachel to be able to, in fact, Rachel, I don't think had done any comedy before this. I mean, Rachel was usually strangled and thrown in the back of a ditch somewhere, and like she was always crying and tied up, and I don't know why, she's an adorable little girl, I don't know why you went to that door, but she, she needed something to latch onto to be able to make it through this stand-up and sell that she could be a stand-up, and the way that we did that for her was to write write it through an emotion, and that gave her something to latch onto, something that she could understand. Um, we, more and more, we have more stand-up coming in, which is the real hard, hard stuff, is like when you have these other comics come in, and you've got a show like, there's a, a comic on the build, and he's gonna get up and do five minutes, and, and <coughs> we have enlisted some stand-ups, uh, we drag them in off the road every now and then, and we say, you know, here's our theme, or here's the kind of guy he is. You know, this is this is a sexist guy. He does t he does wife jokes, or this guy does food jokes. This guy's and and they help us a lot um, in that in those sort of structured terms because we're not stand-ups. We've never done stand-up. We're just we're storytellers. Um, so Midge's stuff we kind of latch onto because it's story, and the other stand-up stuff we have a handle on and then we cry to someone young and in the other room and ask them to help us out basically um season two uh the joel character it's it's, it's fascinating um that element of kind of understanding why they got together there's kind of like a, there's it's, it's almost this element of a wonderful scene where we it seems like we see the proposal and we kind of, it's almost like he, that sense that there's a spirit in him, that there's something redemptive in, is almost through this lens of the fact that he fell for someone like her yes. and that he was attracted exactly. to her. It, it's interesting, uh, it, it, that element of, of that character, and, and I have to assume this is kind of a con in the conception that you were going to hold, it feels like a character that we're going to hold on to Absolutely. and arc, arc the whole way. She, she, you know, the thing about, it's, it's a hard part playing the guy that shoots Bambi, you know. It's, it's, it's really, to be the, the quote-unquote villain is really hard. The thing, is, the thing about Joel is, one of my pet peeves on, on other things that I've seen is, like, whenever they want to show a woman 
and her husband cheats on her or has done her wrong, she's going to go out and forge a new life. The, the nine out of ten times the man is so demonized, he's either dumb or he's got allergies, so he's kind of gross or he's a little stupid or he's super arrogant. And, and it always brings me back to like, why the fuck was she with this person in the first place? It, it actually affects the way I look at her, the heroine. It's like you chose this dull guy who's sneezing all the time or walks around in his weird speedos and talks about <laughs> scrooge. I mean, they always do something. They, they, Don't talk about us. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So I, what, what, what was important to me is that Joel was somebody completely viable and real for her to fall in love with. And for somebody who, who she frankly probably will all be in love with the rest of her life. She didn't choose to leave him. Mm-hmm. You know, she, he left her and then, and then she found this other thing that she couldn't give up. So he needed to be somebody who was worthy of her love. If we're saying you have to, I want you to really be behind Midge and I want you to invest in Midge and I want you to think she's the greatest thing in the world, you can't think she's a schmuck for picking some doofus off the street. You've got to understand what it was in him that that she saw. And what I've always loved about Joel is exactly what you said. In 1950, whatever, when they met, he went for the strongest girl in the room, the girl who stood up and garnered attention. And that didn't diminish him in his eyes. That made him excited and proud. And that says something about who he was at the beginning of their relationship. And yeah, he, he, he made a mistake in the pilot. And we always saw him, it, we always saw it as he hurt himself even more than he hurt Midge. He's, he, 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 he knew it instantly and he's going to be paying the penalty for the rest of his life. So yeah, in, in a way he's redeeming himself by becoming, becoming the man that she always wanted him to be. And, it's a little too late. And just yeah, just he he made he he made that mistake, and he's and it's just a mistake that he's going to be paying for for the rest of his life. And he's aware of his weakness too. That element of like I can't. He knows that he can't be with her. Yeah. As a comic, yeah. but that she shouldn't give that up. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know that that scene, the 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 flashback to the to proposal. Um, it made me think of how much uh, so much of what you're doing in this show kind of brings it right up to the line of a musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in, in one scene, we cross the line sometimes. Yeah, but in one, I, 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 we're talking about all this. I mean, do 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 you have a musical in you? Do you have one of these MGM musicals in you? Is that something that we might see? Is that something? Do you think in those? Because one one almost sees the influence of these things on yes on some of the emotional scenes, on some of the dance and the music and, and the lighting. You know, like yeah. uh, one of the things during that flashback sequence, I said to David Mullen, I said, I know they're going out on the street, and I know it's Eighth Avenue. But this is a Technicolor singing in the rain moment. This is this is because it is what she remembers. She is remembering this wonderful romantic night, and she's going to remember in Technicolor. So there were pink lights and beautiful lights out there. That if you go out on Eighth Avenue at night, it actually doesn't look like that. It's not quite that pretty. But um, uh, music. I was a dancer um, down was a musician in our youth. Um, and dance has always sort of, it's always influenced. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way I direct. I direct like a dancer. I, I know that, you know, it's, it's not even like I think like, well, now why am I doing it? It's just how I, I clock things a certain way. I look for things to move a certain way. Um, I think I write like that. And so musicals 
are, are in, in our blood. It's just sort of part of it. Um, whether or not we'll, we'll do a musical, I think that uh, there's always a chance if we live long enough, we'll throw something out there. I, I love musicals. I love, the, I love the joy of them, you know, the joy of dancing, the joy of music. It's, 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 it, keep, it keeps you going. The music itself, is this something that, um, it sounded like in some cases you know the music or you're bringing something that has the pace of it to, to, to give the feel on set. Uh, but some of the, mu some of the, some of the music um, for the second season is, I mean, first off, I love a nice music supervising budget. I love, you know, I love Frank Sinatra. Thank yeah. you, Amazon, on that one. So in some cases that, but, but I mean, how is um, that process of finding the song? Because it, it, it seems so specific and, and uh, timed. Is that, I mean, I know that's very conscious, but how, is that something that is writing into production or is it, is it just painstaking work in post? I think the songs that work best on the show are the ones that we think of really, really quickly. I think the ones that and are that we script. not as successful are the ones that take a long time to find. So a lot of it is just instinct. We have, a, we, we, we listen to a lot of music and have over the years and it's, it's yeah. always been my, my love and passion. Yeah, Dan has a problem. So a lot of times it's just he's, sort of like something he's flashes. Got, he's got an Amazon music problem. Yeah. <laughs> Something flat. You're giving, uh, all the, you're giving all the money back. It's, Amoeba it's Records. Just, I don't. They should just just put. New York like, doesn't have great record stores, or I'd be going to. In LA, I went to Amoeba and Aaron's Records and Tower Records. Our basement is ridiculous. Is a Tower Records it's a tower now. Tower Records. But um, but I but you know we we pick most all of the important music, and it 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 does tend to come quickly because I think it, it it's 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 kind of instinctive for us, and like I said, like. I think the ones that you hunt for are often the ones that you're forcing in in some way. It's kind of telling you something something is the matter here. Whereas like anytime one of us kind of flashes on something and say, it should be this, we tend to trust the other person and just say, yeah, let's do it. And, and it, it seems to have worked out. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, uh, both of you um, signed the WGA. Um, in support of the voting for the code of conduct, we did. We weren't quite as excited about it as David Simon was, but <laughs> I've never, I've never heard anybody so excited about. We didn't that. disrobe or show any part of our anatomy to anybody. He was really yeah. excited. Uh, but it's been it's been a, a tumultuous week. I'm sure you guys. I know you guys are in production, so I'm sure you're not you're not following things moment to moment. But I mean, in terms of this being in a position that you're in, when we're and we're talking about these packaging fees and we're talking about this issue, I'm wondering if you could explain so, uh, why this is an important issue to you, specifically as I mean, I know part of this is a larger writers issue, but kind of from your your vantage point in your career, you know, why this is this is important. Well, there's, you know, I don't know how much we want to say about it because it's, you know, it's, it's fraught. The bottom line is, the business has gotten to a certain point, and it it's it's an absolute conflict of interest. It's just been years and years and years in the making, and that's you know I think it just hit a boiling point. You know, we all. It's interesting because everybody writes these things, and they when they post their letters, are all like, "I love my agents." Like all of you love your agents, but but y'all sign the letter. It's you know the Writers Guild needs to stick together you know I'm I, look I'm basically Emma Goldman so I, I, I you know I'm, I'm a very big union person so I, I'm very very much behind our leadership and and I like my agent but uh, but uh, I will make a sign and I leave it with this the um, there's this wonderful episode 7 I, I watched again this morning it's this beautiful thing where 
she goes to the art exhibit and she goes into the back room and she buys uh, the the afterthought the, room. The afterthought <laughs> room. And, and when the Declan character asks her, is it, it, it's so much more. Uh, oh no, that's the wrong quote. Where did I? Maybe I didn't cut and paste it. Oh, I walked into that sad little room in back, uh, the one nobody seemed to care about. Everywhere I looked, it was color and life. Something the front room has was a little short of. And then suddenly she caught my eye and I thought, I know her. Um, she has a secret. She knows a joke that I don't. I thought maybe I'd take her home. Maybe she'd tell me the joke. And that made me smile. That element of that back room and that color and the front room and the less serious, the more let's take ourselves serious. Uh, this show in the season is really that back room. And that's that painting. It's a, it's a, I really love this. And I, 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 we have this, we do all these serious shows and the, you know, you can do period like this and you can say something like this and it doesn't have to be that. that, that yeah, it was though. a nice moment. Rachel, it, Rachel played it beautifully. And it, it just one of those things that kind of worked out. Like we, we, it's hard to find all the artwork. We love art. We love modern art. We love the ab, ab, abstract expressionist, but a lot of people don't. And we were sort of reflecting that she was one but, of those that did not have a direct connection to that, but, but had also, an in instinct for what she But art should, art should con you should connect to art. And, and art, especially now, is such commerce. It's such like, you know, oh, is DiCaprio going to bid on, you know, Art Basel is like, what? It's like Lollapalooza for art. It's like, it should be something that you connect to. Good, bad, or indifferent, if it makes you feel something, on any level, then it is good and it is worth. And Rufus and Sewell I think played that, that, that is moment. Just our, that was just sort of our point. With yeah, Rufus Sewell just played that moment where he was kind of looking like, you, you, you didn't, you, we, we didn't spell out what it was that was happening there, but you know, I think you know he he knew this artist, he knew this woman, you know, he was he was a more sympathetic guy, and um, I, think I think he played it. He played that moment. He really did. Well, he's amazing, and and we were all very excited to have Rufus. So on the set, believe me, we were all staring at him for like 20 hours. <laughs> like, oh, should someone yell action? It was like a lot of that. Yeah, because we um, just saw him, I mean, you know, because he, he plays so many heavies. And, and, and we, we were like, we want to get Rufus Sewell on the show and, and have him play like a buoyant part. Because he played it in a Tom Stopper play we saw and he was just so buoyant. And then he's always, he's great as heavies, but boy, he's just always playing heavies. And we talked to him and he said, when I started out, I was doing like these ribald comedies and I thought, oh, they're never going to let me do anything other than comedy, ever. Yeah, and then, and then, then he, then he got his being... first pair of jack boots and he's yeah. never been anything but mm. a bad guy ever since. But yeah, I mean, that's, that was a very, that's a very nice thing to pick up on. But art, art is personal. It just should be personal. Whatever you like and speaks to you, that's, that's, that's the way to go. Well, thank you both. Good luck with second se third season. Thank you.